Good morning, church. So great to see all of you and be with you here on this glorious morning. I want to especially say welcome to you if you've never been here before, if you're visiting. We've been in a sermon series, just a little one here at the end of the summer about the Bible called Between Two Worlds. We've basically been saying week by week that when you read the Bible, you're living in the modern world but entering into the ancient world. And so one of the great tasks that we have as Christians is to learn how to apply the ancient world and to live it in the modern world today. And so today, we're concluding this little series with a reflection on Psalm 119. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles, or open the bulletin to page 11. We're going to dig into this text, which is a highly practical text about how we can put the Bible to use in our everyday lives. That's our theme today, the Bible for all of life, how you can engage with the Scripture in your everyday life. So let me pray as we go to God's Word. Our Father, we thank you for that remarkable story. Thank you, Jesus, that you are reigning and you are overseeing all things and that you are working to bring renewal and renewing communities and relationships and even renewing the earth and that we can be a small part of that through Jesus. We pray now that you would send your Holy Spirit, help me and all of us so that we would not just hear your word, but be changed by it as we respond with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate it on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. They make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Our littlest daughter, Frances, when she was about three or four, found this little copy of the Gideon's Bible, you know, that, those little New Testaments that you can stick in your pocket, and she began carrying it around with her, calling it her Bible. And occasionally she would pull it out and she would open it up and, and read it, and she was especially overwhelmed with a strong desire to read her Bible when we asked her to do something. So we'd say, you know, Francis, it's time to clean your room, or Francis, it's time to take a bath. And she would say, no, I need to read my Bible. And she would get in her bed and open this little New Testament, and she would just stare at it and move her eyes back and forth across the page for a bit. And then she would, after a while, she would turn the page, and she would sit there and do that, sometimes, you know, 10, 15 minutes at a time. Now, the funniest thing, of course, was that at the time, she could not read. She had no idea what she was looking at. Nothing was actually, of course, being internalized from the text. Now, I want you to sort of use that as a parable, if you will, for much of our own reading of the Bible. We Americans especially have so many Bibles. We have access to so much biblical things all the time. We hear it read and preached. We go to classes, listen to radio stations. We go to Bible studies. We might use it on our own. Honestly, we have such wonderful intent when it comes to Scripture, 
But the great question that I want to ask this morning is, is anything actually getting inside? Are we hearing or are we hearing? Are we reading or are we reading? Is anything from the text actually being internalized within us that God is using it to effectuate the change in us that he wants to bring? Is anything penetrating? Is anything making an impact? Because in the end, friends, that's the point. That's why we've been learning about the Bible the last couple of weeks, not just to become Bible scholars, not just to fill our brains with information, but to be changed by the text, for the scripture itself to get inside of us so that God begins to work his power and change within us. For a lot of us, that's not happening. For all of us, it could be happening more. And so the great question is, how can it happen? How can the Bible begin to get inside of us to change us and shape our everyday lives? That's the question I want to look at with you today. So what I want to do is look at this really amazingly practical text and suggest three ways that you and I can engage with the scriptures in our everyday life. Three ways that God is calling us to interact with, relate to the scriptures in our everyday life so that they can begin to effectuate change. So these are the, the three things that we are going to look at today. First, that we're, we can study the Bible with our minds. We can study it with our minds. Second, we can engage the Bible with our hearts. And third, we can embody the Bible with our lives. Okay, We can study it with our minds, engage it with our hearts, embody it with our life. Okay? You guys with me? Okay. First, let's Let's look at this, how we study it with our minds. Now, I'm going to, this is our briefest point because I've talked about this a lot the last couple weeks, but look at our text. Look how often the psalmist mentions a way that he engages the scripture with his mind. He says things like this, I, I, I gain more insight than all of my teachers. Wouldn't you like that, kids? Have more insight than your teachers? That's what the Bible can help you do, right? More wiser than my enemies, more understanding. He, he says, you, you yourself have taught me. I gain understanding for, from your precepts. This is a man who has learned how to engage the scriptures with his mind. And one of our great goals for the last couple of weeks was that whoever you are, whether you've been reading the Bible all of your life or whether you've never picked it up before, is that you can do so with a little bit greater degree of comfort to understand how to read and study and interpret the scripture for yourself. You can engage it with your mind. I hope that after the last couple of weeks, you can say with confidence that you understand what the Bible is all about, that it is not a big bunch of rules. It is not an assortment of religious ideas or random inspirational platitudes, but you could say with confidence, this is a God-breathed book in which God spoke through human authors in particular times in history, yet spoke a powerful and living word that tells a unified story about God's redemption of all things. That despite the fact that it's made up of 66 different books written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, all different genres and styles and times and circumstances, then the amazing providence of God, it all comes together to tell a coherent, unified story about everything. The Bible tells you the, the meaning of life, to have meaningful relationships with God, each other, and creation. The Bible tells you what's wrong with you in the world, that sin and rebellion have shattered God's good intentions for all things. The Bible tells you how it's going to get fixed, that God has initiated a rescue mission and that he is redeeming all things and 
healing the, the shattered world. And the, and the Bible tells you how it's all going to end, that one day God will right all wrongs, heal all wounds, wipe away all tears. And all of it centers around this man, Jesus Christ, who the Old Testament saints anticipated, the New Testament saints celebrated, that all of it centers around him, the king, the savior, the Messiah, the God-man, the hero. That's the story. But look, friends, if we are going to be people who live the story and love the story and proclaim the story, we've got to know the story. We've got to be students of the story. We need to know the times and cultures and settings where the story took place. We need to know the authors that God chose to speak through, the people he chose to speak to. We need to understand the different ways the story is told. We need to know about Jesus and the place where he lived, the time of his coming, the centuries of history that led up to him, the people that believed in him, the churches that birthed from him. Only by knowing all of this, the history and culture and context and times and places and seasons, will we truly just begin to see how astonishing and powerful and world-altering this story really is. And so we are students of the story. Whether you are five or 95, lifelong students of the story. That's who we are. We never stop learning. We never stop growing. We never stop plumbing the depths of this astonishing story. We are lifelong students of the book. We engage it with our minds. How do we do that? We do it in a lot of different ways. We do it together. When we gather every Sunday, part of what we're doing is learning the scriptures with our minds. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our worship, we always have the public reading of Scripture. Scripture is all over from beginning to end in our service. Someone preaches, me or someone else, and when, when we preach, we are seeking to preach from the biblical text. I'm not going to come up here and preach based on a, a mystical experience I had in the Blue Ridge Mountains, as, mu- as good as that might be. I am here to exposit the text, say what is in it, and apply it for us today. We, we study the Scriptures in classes, in our groups, parents. We want to equip you to be teachers of the scriptures to your, to your kids. You know, we give you a, a Bible when your baby is born for you to read to your baby, not for your baby to read, unless your baby's very smart. Um, and then around age four, we, we give your child another uh, Bible that you can use with the curriculum that we use in our Sunday school class, and we email you the scripture that we're using week by week. In second grade, kids, uh, you're given a Bible by the church. And that Bible, we want to equip you as young people, as students, as children even, to become readers of the Scripture. So we do this together. We, we are students of the Scripture. But we also want you to do this on your own individually. We want, you, we want to encourage you to not just read books about the Bible or read devotionals that might mention a few verses, but we want to challenge you to actually read the Bible. And we want to equip you with all the resources that you need. In fact, today, when you leave... We'll be given, um, if you'd like one, one of these handouts that is a resource page, How to Study and Meditate on the Bible. It's got all these amazing resources about study Bibles and books about interpretation and Bible commentaries and classes that you can take step-by-step process for studying the Scripture on your own. We basically want to take away all excuses that you may have to be a student of the Scripture for yourself. Amen? Amen? Amen. And so we're students. We're students of the story. Okay. So that's the first thing. But second, though, we, we can't just be students and engage our minds. We've got to be participants and engage our hearts. You know, we have a dog named Leo. He is a golden retriever. He loves to chew. And what he'll do is he'll find a stick or a piece of wood or, or my shoe or, or sometimes we'll give him a piece of rawhide or a bone. And he, he's so cute. He'll take the thing and he'll lay on his belly and he'll, and he'll clamp it between his two front paws 
and he'll just start gnawing and I'll get and he just gnaws it and he chews it. Sometimes he growls at it. He goes, and sometimes he'll just sit there for a long, long time just chewing and gnawing this thing. Sometimes he takes what he's chewing on and he goes and hides it, you know, behind a bush or behind a, a, a chair. And then he goes back later and he picks it up and he pulls it into himself and he just keeps gnawing. Now, I want you to use that image, have that image in your mind. It may not be a image you want in your mind, but I'm putting it in your mind just for a moment as what scripture says we should do with the Bible. Gnaw it, chew it, digest it. It's a very common image in scripture. Look at our verse, look at our text this morning, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Or Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word became the gladness of my heart. Matthew 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in the book of Revelation, the angel gives the apostle John the scroll of scripture and says, hear, take, and eat. Now, this is not a literal command, of course, although if you've ever had toddlers, you've had to rescue many books from their slobbery mouths, I'm sure. But these images of eating and chewing and gnawing and digesting the scripture are a powerful image of what we are called to do with the Bible. That it is never meant to stay in our brains it's meant to move deep into our hearts and bodies and affect our lives. Now, imagine if you went out to a great meal at one of Richmond's fantastic restaurants, and you just put the food in your mouth, and you never swallowed. I mean, apart from just being gross, eating would be ineffectual, right? Eating does nothing for you unless you chew, swallow, and digest. Only when you swallow and digest does food begin to have its energizing and strengthening effects upon your body. And in the same way, if you only ever just read scripture and you just study it and keep it in your brains and never let it penetrate, go deep inside of you, digested, it never will then have the same transformative and energizing effect on your life. So what I'm saying is this, we need to read the Bible not just for information, but for transformation. Not just to get it into our brains, but into our hearts. Not just to engage the mind, but to form the loves. And how does that happen? Well, one powerful way that happens is through the ancient practice of biblical meditation. Now, meditation is very popular these days. You'll find, you know, a thousand different apps on how to meditate. And when I say meditate, you might be thinking of some guy, you know, sitting in the lotus position going, um. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. The Christian meditation is an ancient biblical practice that is not about emptying the mind. It's about filling the mind and saturating the mind and therefore the heart with the scriptures so that they begin to get digested within you. Look at our text this morning. Look at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. Verse 99. I meditate on your statutes. The whole Psalter begins. Psalm 1. Blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He what? Meditates day and night. In fact, almost 20 times in the Psalms, meditation is mentioned. I meditate on your wonderful works. I meditate on your deeds. I meditate on your unfailing love. I meditate on your ways. What is he doing? Here's what meditation is. It is the act of prayerfully reflecting on the scriptures, which then allow the word to move from your brain down to your heart, receiving the word into the interior places of your soul. I love what uh, 16th century reformed 
pastor, Richard Baxter, says, listen to this. He says, meditation is praying the truth of Scripture into the soul until it catches fire. Isn't that awesome? Meditation is praying the truth of Scripture into the soul until it catches fire. Think of it like the difference between reading a textbook and reading a love letter. In the first, if you remember reading a textbook, or if you're a student now and you have to read them, I'm so sorry. You, you know, with a textbook, you read as little as possible to get the best possible grade, right? You cram the information into your heads just long enough to regurgitate it onto the test, right? You have, with a textbook, you have no relationship or emotional connection with the author of the textbook. It's utilitarian. You just get the information you need to get the results you want. That's reading a textbook. Now, contrast that with leave, reading a love letter. Now, I don't know, you know, some of you young people here probably never even seen or received a, a love letter, but, you know, if you're 40 or up, you probably remember what it was like to receive a love letter from your beloved, and do you remember what it was like? You know, you get this love letter in the mail, and I remember being at camp and getting a love letter from Sarah before we were dating, but we really liked each other, and, you know, you get a, a love letter, and you see, you, you recognize the, the handwriting of the person of your beloved and your heart begins to flutter and, and then what do you do? You stick it in a private place and you go to your room or behind a tree and then, and then you open it up and you read it and you reread it and you read it slowly and you read it again and you pour over every turn of phrase and analyze and you wonder what each phrase might mean. Dear Corey, what does that mean? You know, like, what, 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 does that mean that I'm dear to her or is this just salutation? You know, what is, and you, you know, you, and, and that's what it's like. To, and that's the difference between reading a textbook and reading a love letter. The first is only about information. The second is for relationship. You know, the first only engages the brain. The second engages the mind and the heart. The first places the reader as master over the text getting from it what I want and need. The second is someone who, who puts themselves under the text to receive something and is even changed by what's in it. And that's what scripture meditation is. It is reading the Bible for relationship, reading the Bible for transformation. It is praying the truth of scripture into the heart until the soul catches fire. How do you do that? Well, in our guide that we have for you, there's actually a step-by-step -step process of how you meditate on scripture. But let me just give you some tips. So before I was taught this by a mentor, how to meditate on scripture, this is what my devotional life looked like. I would pick up the Bible, whatever the reading was today. I would read the Bible, you know, think about it, maybe write some things down about it, close the Bible, set it aside, and then pull out my prayer list. And the act of prayer, the act of scripture were divorced. You know, they, they, they were really separate activities. But what biblical meditation is, it is to marry scripture reading and prayer. It is to bring the, the reading of the text turning into prayerful reflection on the text. So what you might do is this. You take a, a piece of scripture, usually a short piece of scripture, because you, you, know, you really want to get it in, and you read it, and you reread it maybe three times. Maybe you read it once out loud, and you're noting you know, the theme and what the text says about God, about you, about the world. And then what you do is you begin to reflect and to ask reflective questions. You're praying, crying out to the Spirit to reveal to you what God, would ha what God wants to say to you through the text. And what oftentimes happens, not every time, but what often happens is a, script a verse or a phrase or a word jumps out at the from you, off the page, like illumined in a strange sort of way. 
And then what you can do is you can focus on that verse, focus on that phrase or word, and you really begin to pray through it and ask yourself, why is the Spirit giving this to me? What do I need to learn from this? How might I be different if I believe this? What do I need to confess on the basis of this? What do I need to praise God for on the basis of this? And as you do that, that scripture begins to go deep from your brain down into your heart. And then what you can do is you can write that verse on a little card or memorize it, take it with you. The psalmist says, I meditated on it all day long, set the alarm on your phone, you pull it out at lunchtime, you pull it out mid-afternoon, you pull it out before you go to bed, talk about it with your spouse, your roommate, your peers, your friends. And what happens is that scripture begins to go deep into the soul and slowly, maybe sometimes even over several days, the soul begins to catch fire. So this happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was reading Psalm 146 in the morning and I was reading uh, a verse, I, came, I was reading and rereading and I came across verse five, happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. And this verse just sprung out at me. And I began to pray through it. What is the Lord saying to me through this? Happy are those whose hope is in the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord their God. And I began to reflect in my own life and reflect on what was going on in my own life at the time. And I began to realize, first of all, that I was looking for help, not to God, but to a lot of other people and especially to myself. I was anxious. I wanted to control my life and my circumstances. And second, I realized that I was throwing my hopes on everything but the Lord, and I was experiencing disappointment after disappointment because I was throwing on my hopes on things that don't deliver. But the verse says, happy are those whose help is in the Lord their God, whose hope is in the God of Jacob. And the more I began to reflect on that and get it deep into my soul and memorize it and let it do its work in me, the more it began to catch fire. See, that's how meditation works. It is praying the truth of Scripture into the heart. Reading without meditating is like eating without digesting, and that is not something that I would recommend, all right? So we read the scriptures with our minds, we engage the scriptures, pray them hard into the heart, and then finally, the last thing we do is we embody them with our life. Notice how volitional this text is. This guy is not just sitting in his room thinking about scripture praying. He's getting out into the world. It says... I obey all of your precepts. You keep my feet from every evil path. He's living in the world. He's obeying your word. He's not departing. He's, his, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. We study the scriptures with our minds and pray it into our hearts so that the word begins to enter into us to metabolize into action so that the word of God makes us different people so that it begins to change us, working out into acts of faith and love, sacrifice, obedience, worship. The Word of God, when, it, when we consistently, over time, study and meditate on it, it actually begins to make us new, different kind of people. I love Psalm 1 because I think it speaks to this as the introduction to the whole Psalter. Psalm 1 says this, the one who meditates on God's Word is like a tree planted by streams of water. Mark Sprinkle, one of our covenant partners, painted this painting of a tree, I think this is a real tree you saw in Forest Hill Park. And I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a, a tree like this, but you, you know that a newly planted tree, maybe in your yard, desperately needs water. It cannot survive a dry season, it can't survive a drought. Its roots are just too shallow. But a tree planted by streams of water, it does not matter what happens about the heat, no drought affects it, the weather, no circumstances. Why? Because its roots run deep into the stream. 
And the scripture says the one who meditates and studies God's word continuously is like this tree, bearing and growing fruit and flourishing even when it's dry, even when there's no rain, even when there's a drought, even when everything around you is barren. You are flourishing because your roots are running deep into the stream of God's word. And that's what scripture study and meditation does. It puts you in touch with the deep waters. Waters that flood the soul. And it, and it makes you different. It makes you strong, secure, a person of poise and power, regardless of what is going on around you and what may be happening to you. Let me tell you about somebody that this has happened to, someone you know, someone who's here, Martha Skiltis. Martha shared this with me last week, and she gave me permission to share it with you today, um, that Martha, when she was 12 years old, her father died. I didn't know this. It was obviously shattering for a young girl and her family. And at her father's funeral, Martha was processing up the aisle of the church with her mom and her family members, and a man that she passed quite loudly spoke out so that Martha could hear her, hear him. There goes that poor orphan. There goes that poor orphan. And that was devastating to be, to be given a new identity by an alien voice. There goes that orphan. And the next day she was in her room. She was crying. She was shattered. She was crying out to God, reading had her Bible with her. She was asking for help. And, and, she, and then there was another voice. And it was the voice of Jesus saying to her, you belong to me. I will be your father now. You belong to me. And to me, that is just an astonishing image of what Scripture does to us. That we hear these alien voices pronouncing lies over us. And then over here comes the voice of God through the Scriptures pronouncing the truth, and that whatever you listen to will make you who you are. And so every day, you are the recipient of alien voices of lies. You are an orphan. You are worthless. You are ugly. You are alone. You don't have enough. You're out of control. Your life is threatened. And the more you listen to those lies, the more your life will be shaped by them. You will actually the more you take those voices in, that you will actually become alone. You will become hopeless. You will become a person who's addicted. You will fall into pride and fear. What you receive makes you into what you are. But here's, here's what happens. When Scripture enters in, it offers this alternative story, this alternative voice. It's a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. In the, in the face of these lies, we hear from Scripture the voice of God saying, you are the beloved. You're held by grace. You are forgiven. You are one with Jesus Christ. You are rescued from the dominion of darkness. You have power to overcome all temptation. The hairs on your head are numbered. God will never leave you or forsake you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is it doing? Scripture is calling you back what is true. And slowly as you study and meditate and pray that new story, that new identity, that new truth into the soul, it begins to change you. You become that rooted person who is able to to live a different story, reject lies, live the truth. You become a person whose priorities and behaviors and attitudes and even your emotions shaped by the word of God. In other words, you become a tree like Martha, 
planted by streams of water for 72 years. Martha has remembered what that man said. But for 72 years, she has been meditating on the truth that she is a beloved child of the Father. And that great truth has taken her through all the ups and downs and all the trials and tribulations of life, through the death of her father, the death of her husband. She is a tree, and her roots run deep. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to be, when you're 84, don't you want to be like her? (laughs) That's what Scripture does. It makes you a tree whose roots are planted by streams of water. So, let me sum up. What can you do with the Bible? You can study it with the mind. You can engage it with the heart. You can embody it with the life. Maybe you even take those three icons, these little pictures, and and use it to remind you of what you're called to do. I love what my friend and our pastor, Nan Clark, often says. She says, you got to know the story, you got to love the story, and you got to live the story. That's what followers of Jesus do. They know the story, they love the story, they live the story. The American philosopher Alistair McIntyre once said, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself a part? You know, every day, all the choices you make on an area basis are determined deep down by what you subconsciously believe your story to be. What's the plot of your life? What's the meaning of it all? How's it all going to get fixed? What's the purpose of your existence? All of us live according to a story. And a lot of us live from really, really bad stories. Some of you are, are living the American dream story, that life is about success and accumulation and being comfortable, you know, handing off a nice retirement to your children or a nice inheritance to your children. Some of, some of us are living what I call the Disney story, that life is about finding that soulmate, that person who will finally and ultimately make you happy. Some of you are living the achievement story. Frankly, a lot of West Wind Richmonders are, are, leading, are living the achievement story, that life is about getting the best grades and having the best schools and being in the best firm and the right clubs and the best neighborhoods, and you know it all the rest. And some of us are living the beauty story, that life is about being fit and healthy and beautiful and attractive to other people. And do you not see, friends, you need a better story? Those are worthless stories. They're futile stories. They will never root you. They will never let you stand in the midst of famine and drought. Would you see the worthlessness and the futility of the stories that you and those around you may be living, and would you instead see that here, the Bible gives you this story of the triune God of love who is on a mission to bring every person to himself and to restore our broken world, and that's a story that you can be a part of. So will you? Will you trust in Jesus, the Son? Will you live as a child of the Father? And will you join the mission of the Spirit who is on the move? There's no better story. Let's pray. I'll just give you a moment to reflect. I actually would love to encourage you. You James says the man who hears and does not do is the foolish one. And so I just encourage you, what's one thing you are going to do with the Bible in response to what you've learned about it the last few weeks? What's one thing you're going to do differently with the Bible? Could be something simple. Buy a study Bible. 
or a good commentary. Maybe start a new habit. Try to read the Bible 10 minutes a day. Maybe learn how to meditate on the scripture. Maybe join one of our classes in the fall in the Bible. Maybe memorize a piece of scripture, a psalm, one of Paul's prayers. Just what's one thing that you sense God is calling you to do differently with the Bible? 